This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. While Canada is still contending with the Delta variant of COVID-19, attention has shifted to Omicron. While there is some suggestion cases of it could be milder than past variants, there are indications it's much more transmissible and researchers are still studying how serious it actually is. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post health reporter Sharon Kirkey joins me to discuss what we've learned about Omicron, what is still unknown, and why officials are still cautious despite some promising signs of milder infections. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Sharon, Omicron is the latest in a series of variants since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, we all know that viruses mutate naturally. That's why we have different strains of things like influenza. But what causes them to mutate? Well, it's like you said, Dave, they do mutate all the time. And when a virus enters a host, us in this case, it replicates thousands of times. And mm -hmm. RNA viruses like this one, SARS-CoV-2, they can accumulate these sort of small random mutations because the machinery they use to copy themselves sometimes gets kind of sloppy, right? So they make mistakes. And with SARS-CoV-2, the mutations happen once every couple of weeks or so. Sarah Otto, who's an evolutionary biologist at the University of British Columbia, she kind of described it as like a clock, you know, you can get kind of this count, you know, tick, 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 you know, how many changes you would expect. The problem with this one is it has more than you would expect. And, you know, most mutations generally are pretty small or meaningless. But if the errors benefit the virus, they'll be selected for, right? They'll persist and they get passed on and on and on. And as they accumulate, they lead to these new variants. And this one, Omicron, is a concern because of the number of mutations to the spike protein. And that's what the virus uses to grab onto and enter our cells. The current vaccines make our body produce antibodies against spike. And those mutations have changed part of spike. So the concern is that those changes have made it better at maybe dodging antibodies that would normally stop it from binding to our cells, which would make it possibly more likely to infect or reinfect people and more transmissible. And that's one of the things that we're hearing about Omicron is the idea that it's more transmissible. You know, though it's relatively early days, do we know how much more transmissible it is compared to other variants like Delta or Alpha? And does it fare better moving through droplets in the air compared to past variants? Yeah, I mean, there's still so many unknowns, right? So again, there are 30 mutations on Spike. And we don't yet really know exactly just how much more transmissible it might be. But, you know, there is concern it's more contagious in Delta, that it is spreading more rapidly among people with either no immunity or partial immunity. And we've seen cases really rise exponentially in South Africa. 
I was checking this morning and I read that the reproduction number, so that's the number each infected person goes on to infect. With Omicron, it could be like more than three. And right now in Canada with Delta, we're at just over one. And we need to be below one for the virus to start petering out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that aerosol question is really interesting because there is this concern that it's better at moving through aerosols because it's spread between two fully vaxxed travelers who were staying across the hall from each other at this Hong Kong quarantine hotel. And neither person left their rooms. They didn't have any contact with each other. They only opened their doors when food was delivered or for COVID swabs and testing. So that suggests that the airborne transmission was the most likely mode of spread. And that's worrisome because it suggests, you know, it might be better able to spread at longer distances through the air. We talk about the mutations to spike protein. Does Omicron have more mutations than other variants or is it just a combination of different mutations that make it so virulent? Well, it has an unusually high number, but I guess what's most concerning to a lot of people is this particular combination. So there's three mutations in particular, and those three each make the spike better able to bind to our cells. So it kind of makes spike more magnetic. And scientists have seen some of those three mutations in different variants, but none before Omicron have all three of them. And Sarah Otto at UBC told me that when her colleagues saw that, they were like, uh-oh. But again, you know, it's still not entirely clear how or if they're working kind of in concert, you know, if they're working in synergy to really change how SARS-CoV-2 behaves and functions. We've seen reports of toddlers in hospital with Omicron, while in South Africa, we're hearing reports that cases are mostly mild. Do we have a sense of the severity yet, or do we need to see it actually spread more for us to see what the actual effects are? Yeah, the reports of toddlers and two-year-olds in hospital in South Africa, that was pretty concerning. But the latest I've heard or read is that, you know, the kids were admitted really out of sort of this abundance of caution, right? They thought it was better to get them in the hospital to watch them there than have them at home. And none, I think, had really severe illness so far. The other cases reported as mild so far in South Africa and uh, other places, they involved mostly younger, otherwise healthy people, healthy adults, who you would expect to have milder infections. That's always been the case with SARS-CoV-2. The cases reported in the UK and Norway, they're also reportedly milder, including this outbreak at a work Christmas party in Norway, which is supposed to be the world's largest outbreak outside of South Africa. Mm -hmm. Anyway, a, a doctor told the Telegraph, those cases also seem much milder or mild. But again, there aren't a lot of details about those, quote, mild cases, right? Who are they? You know, when and where do they get infected? How are they infected? What about older people? So it's going to be days at least before we get really a clearer picture on, is it truly causing milder disease and, for example, Delta. As viruses mutate, do they tend to become less severe? Or in this case with Omicron, is it a case of the fact that by the time we've seen this virus mutate several times, more and more people have had it and we've had vaccines against it. So we're seeing less severe reactions to it. Well, there's no typical pattern of evolution as viruses mutate. Art Poon, who's this professor in viral evolution at Western University, he kind of explained to me that, you know, evolution for viruses will favor whatever 
confers greater fitness, you know, what makes the virus more infectious, say, or better able to replicate within its host, you know, meaning us again. Generally, viruses that evolve to become less severe. That's that's kind of true for the viruses where the severe effects, you know, happened early, right? And they interfered with the virus getting from person to person, like what we saw with SARS-1. You know, SARS-1 made people very sick, very fast. So they were so sick that they couldn't go out in public and spread the virus. Mm -hmm. But SARS-CoV-2 is already generally mild for most people. It's also pretty good at spreading, right? People can spread it before they show symptoms or without ever showing symptoms. So, you know, that's a concern. And also, you know, yes, we do have these higher rates now of background immunity, right? We're not starting from square one. The longer the pandemic has dragged on, the more people have been exposed and immunized, you know, naturally, the more people that have been vaccinated. So we should be able to mount an immune response against this variant. But again, we don't really have any solid data to say right now whether we're seeing really any loss in immunity we might have achieved from vaccination or if the vaccines will hold up just fine. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. There's been a lot of talk that people might start to get hopeful that Omicron is transmissible, but we're seeing milder cases. So there's hope that if this spreads more quickly, but people are getting less severe cases that, you know, maybe this is starting to be the beginning of the end because, you know, it might just be like a cold for a lot of people. Is there reason to be concerned about the transmissibility despite on par less severe outcomes? You know, I think so because the experts say so because, you know, if it's milder, but it's transmitting more widely, right? You're getting into areas where we don't have great vaccine coverage. So even if you have a drop off in the overall severity and the severe cases make up a smaller proportion of cases. If you get a lot more cases overall, you're still going to get a lot of sick people, right? Or people who may have long-term complications of COVID. Jason Kindrichuk at the University of Manitoba, he said, you know, the question really comes down to how much milder would this have to be for us to really start feeling more comfortable? I know there's talk that, well, it didn't necessarily originate in South Africa, but because their monitoring was so strong, it was first identified there. But looking at the evidence, are we seeing that high rates of past infection plus vaccines could mean a better outcome here? Or is that still another thing that we're not sure about because it's still early days? Again, it's still not clear, but I mean, that's what people are hoping for, right? South Africa has this low overall rate of vaccination, but some studies suggest that 40, 50, 60% of the population was exposed to SARS-2 in the earlier waves. So they had a lot of natural immunity, but still we are seeing cases rise, right? Quite quickly in South Africa, like the seven day moving average of daily new cases rose to over 10,000 last week. And it was 
you know, less than 300, three weeks earlier. So the hospitals, though, haven't been overwhelmed, right? And there are, you know, these reports that even the people on the COVID wards don't require oxygen the way they did with Delta. But I guess we have to be careful, though, right? Because there tends to be this two-week lag or so time between infections and hospitalizations. Obviously, in a country like Canada, the big concern right now would be, well, we have a fairly high vaccination rate. What does this variant mean to our vaccination efforts? Will it kind of be all for naught? What's the early read on whether Omicron has the ability to get past vaccine-based immunity? There are some concerns that the mutations on spike may have increased the potential for immune evasion. And there's like a ton of buzz today about this small study out of South Africa. And they tested the Pfizer vaccine against Omicron Omicron using blood samples from 12 people who were infected with the variant. And they found that there was this 41-fold decline in the level of neutralizing antibodies against Omicron. You know, now people would say, oh my God, 40-fold drop. That is higher than we've seen with other variants. But, you know, we have to be careful, right? It was just 14 samples from 12 people. And I've been reading the comments from experts and they're saying the fact that antibodies are able to neutralize Omicron at all is really positive news, right? This is a great thing. Mm -hmm. There was this concern that it was going to dodge it completely. And there's no magical threshold yet. We don't know you know, what level of neutralizing antibodies are needed to protect against severe infection. So 20 times a reduction in neutralizing antibodies doesn't necessarily mean 40 times less effective. And even low levels can provide reasonably high levels of protection. I mean, that was the concern with Delta, right? We were concerned it was going to dodge some of the immunity. And we didn't really see that. The vaccines are still highly protective against severe illness and severe disease with Delta. Mm-hmm. And even though there are a bunch of mutations on Spike, you know, a lot of it hasn't changed, right? So our immune reaction should still recognize those other parts of the Spike, including our T cells and our B cells, which weren't measured in that study because they can't be easily measured. But, you know, they're really important workhorses in our immune system against infection. Omicron seems to be the next big bad thing in terms of COVID-19 headlines. The attention right now seems to be very much on Omicron, but that doesn't mean that we've stopped worrying about Delta, does it? Like that that seems to be the big focus in terms of case numbers right now, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's important that we don't forget about Delta, right? Delta is still a big issue. We need to remain centered and still appreciate that Delta is still the dominant one, right? It's still a massive concern globally. So we need to be cautious about Omicron, but we, I think, you know, we have to remain focused on the situation with Delta, which means, you know, masking and distancing and vaccinating and boosting all those things we've been hearing about for the past 20 some months now. You've been on this podcast several times uh, over the last 20 plus months talking about COVID, talking about the reopening, when things are going to get back to normal. I'm not asking you to make a prediction here, but do we have a sense on what experts are saying needs to happen before we're in an endemic stage where like, okay, it's out there, but it's not killing people at the same rate, or we can get back to our normal lives, maybe masking goes away. Like, What is the feeling out there in the medical community with health officials as to when this is all going to end. I hesitate to even say it, right? (laughs) Because it's just changing 
constantly. I mean, remember back in the end of 2020 and people were saying, oh God, thank God 2020 is over. 2021 is going to be so much better. I don't know about you, Dave, but I don't know how much greater 2021 was. (laughs) So, you know, this will eventually become endemic. It will become something that will be much like the seasonal flu, right? So we have this period every year between November and March. I mean, this is the thinking. As we get more people vaccinated, as we build up more immunity, as variants change, I mean, if this proves to be milder, the hope is that it becomes soon endemic. We have something like the flu again, say from November to March, we become aware of, you know, it's SARS-CoV-2 season, and we may likely need to have regular boosters, much like we have with influenza. The bigger concern is, of course, is again, the global situation, right, with vaccination. And with Omicron, we've got now people talking about, oh, you know, here's another reason to move very quickly with third doses or booster shots. But again, it's sort of like, so the richer countries are now saying, oh, we've got this variant that has emerged in another part of the world with low vaccination rates. Oops, we better, you know, third shots, maybe fourth shots for us while ignoring that we still are leaving large swaths of the world unprotected. Mm -hmm. So we can't lose sight of that as well. But I don't know. I've long stopped trying to gaze into a crystal ball (laughs) with this animal. So let's just hope, I say that with fingers and toes crossed, that 2022 is a better time for us. My sentiment shared by many, I'm sure. Sharon, always a pleasure to talk. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, Dave. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Sharon Kirkey. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.